Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. Hada! Your Grace! I know that you want to listen to Binge Mode, but Binge Mode has adult content and... Good. You should head to bed. I'm not tired! And now, Binge Mode. Have you lost faith in our cause? If it's revenge, I still got faith in it. If you no longer believe... I can believe till it snows and dawn. Don't change the fact. We've got half the men. You don't think we can win? May I speak my mind, Your Grace? Have you not been speaking your mind, Lord Karstark? I think you lost this war the day you married her. Welcome to Binge Mode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished chastising the Ooh. garb maker for using too many fucking flowers. I said no flowers! It's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Yes, that's nice. Pin it here. Mm. That's better. Let's see another one. All right, Jason. Yeah. Cersei and Joffrey will be very relieved to hear that yeah. there won't be any boring conversations Thank today. God. We are rewatching all 60 episodes of Game of Thrones. We're deep diving one at a time, and it's scintillating, folks. Spoiler warning for all of you we will be going deep on details from the show and the books from this season and beyond. So grab your crossbow and take aim because it's time to break down season three, episode two Dark Wings, Dark Words. Jason. Yeah. Intelligent podcasters do what they're told. Okay. So let's refresh ourselves. (laughs) Let's refresh ourselves on what actually happened in this second installment by taking a quick trip down our very own King's Road of Plot Points. Get it started. In the Dreadfort in the north, although we don't know it yet, the torture of Theon Greyjoy begins. Yay! Yay! This episode, foot screws. Meanwhile... Bran's three-eyed raven dreams are intensifying. At least he finally has companions willing to help him shoulder the burden. The Reed twins, Jojen yes. and Mira. They're the children of one of Ned's closest allies. Jojen tells Bran that he's a warg. At Harrenhal, the changing fortunes of war have Rob Stark brooding, doing his best Jon Snow impression. And things get worse when Roose Bolton shows up with a couple emails. One... <laughs> From River Run, Lord Hoster Tully, Rob's grandfather, Cat's father, has passed away. What else? Well, word from Winterfell, guys. The castle is burned. No word of Bran or Rickon. In the Riverlands, Rob marches to River Run to pay his respects to Lord Hoster. The discontent among his men over the direction of the war is now officially an issue. He doesn't have enough men to win. He spurned one of his crucial allies, and the Ironborn are loose in the north. Meanwhile, Arya, Gendry, and Hapai run into Thoris of Mir, a drunken priest of R'hllor, and one of the members of the Brotherhood Without Banners. They take the kids prisoner in all but name. Brienne and Jaime are continuing their journey towards the capital. On a bridge, Jaime manages to grab one of Brienne's swords. They fight. He gets his ass kicked. Then a party of Boltons rides up and takes them both prisoner. 
In King's Landing, Joffrey, flush with victory, getting fitted for some new clothes. No flowers! Pin it here. Mm, that's good. Looks fly. Yeah. Cersei wants to know Joff's thoughts on Marjorie and the Tyrell Alliance. Joffrey doesn't really want to hear what his mother has to say. He scolds her for interfering, and Cersei realizes, uh-oh, I increasingly can't control him. Lady Olena, the Queen of Thorns, Woo! in our lives and on our screens at long last. And she's getting down to business right away, questioning Sansa about Joffrey. What kind of dude is he? Mm. Well, we get some further insight into that when Marjorie He's goes to, to visit him. And we see him with his one true love. <laughs> yes. His crossbow. Marjorie charms him by feigning naivete, virginity, and uh, most winningly of all, an interest in weaponry. It's one of the finest crossbows in the Seven Kingdoms. Beyond the Wall. Mance has taken an interest in John. He tells Snow that he likes him, but if it turns out that John is up to something... Mance won't hesitate to kill him. Uh, he's just worked too hard to unite the wildling clans. The Night's Watch brothers straggle away from the fist towards Craster's Keep. Rast, a future mutineer, bullies Sam into laying down and giving up. Gren and Ed carry Sam forward, and the Lord Commander orders Tarly not to die. Jason, we don't get to choose who we love, and we it's don't true. get to choose what we hear. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it. Let's stick it with the pointy end. The defining theme of this episode is the reality check. We once heard that ponderous tome of a human being, Pycelle, say that a king who goes through life with his battle visor down can often be blind to enemies at his side. And in Dark Wings, Dark Words, numerous characters are forced to rip off their their own battle visors and stare harsh truth right in the face. Some of them really shrink from that reality. Others kind of seek it out actively. They want to know what's up. So let's start with two characters who fall into that latter camp, two of them who are actually actively trying to pursue truth. Marjorie and Olena. Lady Olena, finally here. Uh, the first lady of the Reach, not technically the High Lord of the Reach, but she runs things. Yeah, she Mace does. Tyrell, who we have she not... runs that mouth, dude. She runs it. It's dope. And Marjorie has learned well, and it's very interesting to listen to Lady Olena give the straight shit now that Renly and the and the Lords of the Stormlands are not really in the picture anymore. Um, she says of Renly, gallant, yes, charming, and very clean. <laughs> He knew how to dress and smile, and somehow this gave him the notion that he was fit to be king. Uh, talk to your grandson about that. <laughs> then her husband and son, <laughs> this is Mace, Mace Tyrell, by the way, uh, ponderous oaf, she calls him. And more crucially, it was treason. I warned them. And now this, my son is doing the same as her dead husband, previous dead husband, did when he rode a horse off a cliff. Only now he's riding a lion instead of a horse. Damn. Lady Olena... She is well-versed in the political tides and the currents of Westeros. People should listen to her more often, and if they do, they, they live a little longer. Olena and Marjorie's primary mission now, mostly Olena's, you know, she's concerned about Marjorie's well-being, is just finding out what is up with Joffrey. Surely now, when you have a king who is willing to have his uh, betrothed stripped and beaten in the throne room, 
uh, you know, the stories will get around. Right. They've, People heard, will talk. they've heard some shit. They've heard, they've heard, heard some, some shit. shit. You know, they've heard some shit about this guy. Um, but how bad is it really? Summoning Sansa is smart then. You know, she wants to, let's find out. Um, Soften so, her up with some lemon cakes. Now I want you to tell me the truth about this royal boy. Elena says, this Joffrey, who else would know better? We've heard some troubling tales. Is there any truth to them? Sansa, very tough position. Yeah. Do you commit essentially treason right, right now? This is hard. Or do you or do you look for an ally? What does she have? She doesn't really have any leverage here, and she eventually comes out with it. You know, like Joffrey's a monster, but you gotta love Olena's reaction, which is essentially, yes, I know, but now you've confirmed it for me. And she yeah. says, Oh, oh, that's a pity. <laughs> It's so it's like, perfect. And Marjorie's face, yes. just the expression that she makes, she does basically like the shrug emoji, but just with her eyes. Right. And they knew, they knew what's, what they were signing up for, but they needed confirmation. This, but this just shows you, uh, just for the theme, reality checks, this is how you, this is how the game should be played. Right. Ned Stark uh, was going to, you know, Sansa was going to marry Joffrey. Right. Ned Stark knew jack shit about Joffrey, knew nothing about him. Did not check up on what kind of guy, what kind of guy is this guy? Robert, can we talk about this? There's no due diligence done. Oh, Lady Olena, uh, you know, the, the Tyrell alliance with the Lannisters is pretty much a done deal, but she's not, she's not finished right. looking into what the rest of the deal is. Right. I mean, if this guy sucks, you know, maybe we have to poison him to death or something. Who knows? Who, who knows? Yeah. Does he drink wine? Yeah. Cersei and Joffrey. Right. This is the family that Marjorie is about to marry into. These are the people that they're trying to suss out and get a feel for. And Cersei, it, she's trying. Give her credit. She is at least trying to give Joffrey a reality check right. about Marjorie's ambitions. She's trying to parent and to counsel and to guide. But he's both too stubborn and really too dim to hear it. You know, she says, Marjorie Tyrell dotes on filthy urchins for a reason. She, she dresses like a harlot for a reason. She married a traitor and a known degenerate like Renly Baratheon for a reason. And Joffrey's response to this, to this fairly like logical, sensible assessment is she married Renly Baratheon because she was told to. That's what intelligent women do. What they're told. What they're told. And then she says, you need to ask yourself, I don't need to do anything, right? I'm the king. I don't need to do anything you're telling me. Instead of breaking through to him with her reality check, she's getting a reality check of her own, which is basically that he's moved on. He's not in the listen to mommy phase of his life anymore. She's not the main lady in his life. And obviously it's no accident the way this episode is structured that this scene, this exchange between Cersei and Joffrey and then Sansa's meeting with Elena and Marjorie are juxtaposed directly back yeah. to back. We see this tunnel vision from Joffrey, this stupidity and rigidity. And then we see the woman who's going to use that against him. It's it's really flawless structuring on the show's part. Shay and Sansa and then Tyrion are engaged in this really interesting, like, uh, mutual concern for the other person society. Uh, Shay is worried about Sansa, who is essentially a prisoner of the, of the Lannisters at this moment. Um, very vulnerable, no longer has a marriage pact to protect her. Um, and she's extremely naive and is and is liable to be swept up in any number of plots by anybody who's just basically nice to her. Um, Shay is worried about what Littlefinger wants from Sansa. You know, like As guys she should be guys yeah. who own multiple brothels and whose monikers are just 
euphemisms for tiny penises. Yeah. These are not, when they come up to you as like a 17 year old girl, they are not interested in just like good things, which is, and Shay realizes this right away. You know, men only want one thing from a pretty girl. Yes. Shay, uh, this is this is wise. Littlefinger's not in love with me, Sansa says, <laughs> which is like what? And Shay wisely counsels her that uh, you know love. That's, this not, is what, not, that's about, not what she's talking it's about. It's not about love. And this is like such a. I love this. What Sansa says here it really shows her age here. He's too old. <laughs> and Shay says they never see it that way. <laughs> yes, uh, Littlefinger does not see it that way. And then there's also the the Sansa. Centric kind of foreshadowing when Shay tells Tyrion that, you know, she's worried, she wants to protect her. Tyrion calls Sansa a great beauty with an old name. Oh, a great beauty, a great beauty. <laughs> Tyrion, <laughs> yes, she is objectively, you know, her face. Quite uh, pleasing. The head, you know, it's the toes. And she's... The Jonas Brothers uh, like it. Yeah, the, her eyes really pop when she wears those the purple dresses. People in general, you know, they think she's uh, attractive foreshadowing of a marriage to come. Yeah. Sansa's got that lovely auburn hair and so do Rob and Kat, right? Yes. That tully the red. Tulliness. The tully red. And things are not going well right now for the people who who have that tully red. And not good. when Rob and Kat receive these letters with the news of Hoster's death and the news of what has happened at Winterfell, here's what Rob is hearing in right. these moments, right? Number one, my grandfather... The Lord of the Riverlands, a crucial area for us as we attempt to gain men and ground in this war. Dead. Gone. Two, my home is a ruin. Three, my brothers might be dead, but I don't know for sure. No one knows where they are. And four, my prisoner, the guy who I swore I wanted to question and then kill. Gone. That's a lot of reality to have to choke down. And... As is so often the case, both with Rob in particular and with characters on this show in general, mistakes compound mistakes. They make things worse for themselves very quickly, not better. So, you know, Rob has to head to Hoster's funeral. Who's going to hold on to Harrenhal, guys? Well, Bruce Bolton seems like a trustworthy <laughs> fellow. Why don't I let him garrison here until we return? It's it's so painful yeah. with the clarity of hindsight to watch this stuff unfold you know what could go wrong with leaving the dude who literally could barely choke out the words <laughs> my queen oh my queen to talisa five seconds before yeah. in this vital posting and that's not it for rob i mean he's getting reality checks directly from his own men from the bannerman who should be more loyal to him than anyone but his own family members car stark there's a key conversation a key yeah. exchange between car stark and rob in this, this episode is a, this is should be a Blinking red light for right. Rob when he hears this. And it's it's interesting that Rob basically takes it, whereas right. it, think of season one, Rob. He's sicking his wolf right. on the great John for right. calling him boy, right? And he's just sitting here taking this verbal abuse from Karstark basically because he knows it's justified yep. at this point. That's how much things have changed for him in a very short span of time. And then Karstark says, can I speak my mind, Your Grace? Have you not been speaking <laughs> right. your mind the whole time, Lord Karstark? I think you lost this war the day you married her. Fuck. That's hard to hear. And it's the truth. By the way, contrast this with Marjorie at the Knights of Summer uh, Festival where she's sitting watching her brother fight and she's 
cheering the men on. Hi, Garden. You know, this is... Talisa's out of her depth. She doesn't know where she's at. She doesn't know the culture here. She doesn't know the culture of these men. And there's Kat on top of all yeah. of that, who... Karsark in particular, but all of the men, they've... She's... What is she? She's no longer... Ned's yeah. widow, the person that they're basically fighting to help avenge and protect, she's the person who robbed them of their justice. Yeah. Everywhere Rob looks, he's coming up short. Then there's Jamie and Brienne. Uh, the roast battle continues. Uh, they discuss Kat. Brienne says she's an honest woman. And Jamie says, for all the good it's done her. I love that. Uh, very true. For all the good it's done that entire family, I by love the that. way. That's so hard to hear, but it is, it's really important to hear and to like process and digest and accept. Yeah. Being an honest woman, being an honest man, it's not enough. No. It's not enough. It's often your downfall. Yeah, that's how you get outmaneuvered in this world. Uh, things get uh, a little tense when... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, when they start talking about Renly, mm. who Brienne is still carrying a, yeah. a torch big enough to uh, see from the wall. Uh, <laughs> Jamie, uh, Jamie, of course, loves to mock her for this because, yeah. you know, we all know that Renly um, was not interested in Brienne that way. His proclivities were the worst kept secret at court. It's a shame the throne wasn't made out of cocks. They'd never <laughs> have got him off of it. Uh, and Brienne, you know, of course, this makes her extremely angry. Jamie's response is, Hilarious! I don't blame him, and I don't blame you either. We don't get to choose who we love. Ooh, you know, uh, Jamie has these moments of I fucking insight. love this. I love this so much. He has these like little moments of insight where he just tells the truth, but nobody is willing to accept it because it's he's Jamie Lannister, the Kingslayer. This is his character and the contradiction that yeah. is his character in a fifteen-second exchange. Right? He goes from mocking her and belittling her and basically bullying her right. to. Not only being kind of sweet, but actually being really insightful and illuminating, showing us something about himself and helping to teach her something about yeah. herself. More practically, that small farmer, yeah. when he comes across them, yeah. uh, Jamie, the cynical guy and the kind of like ruthless murderer when he needs to be, looks upon this kind of conversation, this quick conversation, that little stare at the end of it, um, and thinks... I think this guy recognized me. Yeah. We may need to kill this guy. Brienne, of course, is not going to engage in that. Right. He's innocent. Um, he's innocent. Uh, and then, of course, what happens at the end? It was that he did recognize him. Saw him at some tournament, right? And leads the Bolton men right to him. I wonder what Brienne thinks at that moment. She should have learned her lesson from the men they crossed before when right. they ran into the Stark men, and one of them recognized Jamie. Jamie's famous. Yeah, he's extremely famous. He's also very handsome. Also, like word of the Kingslayer loose in the Riverlands yeah. somewhere. This would everybody, this would be not this. People would be talking about right. this. Everybody is looking for him. Yeah. Literally everybody. Who's the Kingslayer with? Well, word has it that he's with a seven foot woman <laughs> in armor. This is a painful lesson for Brienne to yeah. learn, right? And they're what? What are they doing when they're discovered? They're fighting. Yeah, they're battling and. It's just less hard truth after hard truth for Bran here because <laughs> when they're engaging in combat, finally, Jamie says, bit of a quandary for you. If you kill me, you right. fail Lady Stark. But if you don't kill me, I'm going to kill you. Again, he is harassing her, but he's also actually teaching her something about kind of the nature of choice. This is one of the themes, recurring themes right. for his character. You always have to sacrifice or compromise one thing. So many vows. They make you swear and swear and swear. And he's right. He's yeah. right. Further north... 
some reality checks as well, right? Mance mm. is explaining to John how hard it is for him to unite 90 clans, half of whom want to massacre the other half for one insult or another. They speak seven different languages in my army. So how did he unite they them? That's bears. the question. They do. Sheila. Good old <laughs> Sheila. She's a looker. How? How did Mance do this? He's happy to tell you guys if you just ask. I told them we were all going to die if we don't go south because that's the truth. Truth. Truth is the one weapon that Mance uses to do the seemingly impossible, to unite people who don't want to be united, who don't want to bow down to a king. They are free by nature. That's the whole point. And this is a different part of the world, different rules, different ideas and governing principles. And Bran, he's kind of, he's closer to this wilderness now, to this sort of yeah. freeform way of engaging with people and learning about them than to the, na- the, the, the tidy, by the books nature of what's happening in other parts of the world. And he's really growing on this road trip and his entourage is growing too. This is our first introduction to show Jojen, at least. Yeah. It's, it's a little different in the books. And he arrives first in one of Bran's dreams when, you know, Bran is standing. He's not crippled, right? He's 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 working a bow. And he's trying to shoot the raven. And jo- Jojen appears to him and says, you can't kill it, you know. Bran says, why not? And Jojen says, because the raven is you. That is a huge reality check for yeah. Bran about what's actually going on here. And That's it's right. also... But really exciting, I think, reality check for viewers about how important Bran is going to be, because there's a lot of talk. Take take yourselves back to this point in time, watching this for the first time. So many people out there are just like, oh, Bran. Yeah, it's oh, Bran. Like, we get it. Like, Hoder's got to carry him. Like, oh, is this like parents? Like, oh, he misses his mom. Bran matters, right? And we're starting in these interactions with Jojen to understand why. And Bran is starting to understand, too. And it's... It's just really cool, especially if you're like a nerd and like kind of the classic fantasy hero's journey. It's really fun. You know, he's struggling to come to grips with what's happening to him. And he's freaked out when he sees how Osha won't kind of talk to him because she was the one earlier who was like, yeah, this stuff's old hat to me from beyond the wall. But she won't explain these dreams to him. She's clearly unsettled by what he's happening. He says, I didn't ask for black magic dreams. And she says, you know, I know you didn't, little lord. But when the reeds arrive... Jojen says, I'm Jojen Reed. This is my sister, Mira. We've come a long way to find you, Brandon, and we have much further to go. Just chills. Chills for me, literally, because it's just setting up everything that is going to matter. You know, he's been asking Lewin. He's been asking Osha, what's up? Right. What's going on here? How come I'm seeing through my wolf's eyes? Right. How come I'm having these dreams? My dreams come true. What's going on? Am I special? And they're like, eh, don't listen to old Nan. <laughs> Don't listen to old Nan. Everyone dreams, you know. What about all those dreams you had that didn't come true? Jojen, he's speaking truth. Yeah. He says, you're a warg. Even, even the way Osha treats him, in a sense, is kind of a reality check. I mean, she is from a culture that has experience with warging. It's, it's, it's a rare talent up there, but it's not exactly unknown. You would, people would know about wargs, had seen them. And something about Bran's manifestation of this power troubles it's Osha. Much, it's right? too much, too soon. Um, he seems too powerful too quickly, and it and it bothers her. He is desperate for information, mm-hmm. desperate for someone to explain this to him. Right? Jojen says, "You know, you're a warg. You can see through Summer's eyes." And Bran immediately starts asking about his dreams. Does it have? Do those have anything to do with warging? Right? right? And Jojen says, "No. The Raven is something different, something deeper. The Raven brings the sight." What's the site? You know, right. just questions breed questions here. And 
Bran is soaking up this knowledge. These two start bonding right away. It's yep. really beautiful to watch. It's actually really sad to watch. You know, they start talking about their fathers. Bran tells Jojen that, you know, what he dreamt of of Ned's death. And Jojen says, you didn't dream it. You right. saw it, yeah. right? And so did I. And Bran is asking him, you know, do you have the sight too? And he talks about his father. Bran says, your father's Helen Reed, right? He saved my father's life during the rebellion. This is hinting at some deep shared history here yeah. that we will come to learn a lot more about over time. They have a connection that really matters. There's a reason that Jojen and Mira care enough to go find Bran in the first place. Helen and Ned have a lot of history together, Tower of Joy, that really, really matters for this story. And there's also just this really beautiful reality check that is not necessarily specific. It is specific to Jojen in this moment, but it's, it applies to everything in this story. When Mira defends Jojen, Osha's yeah. like basically belittling this, mocking this, right? She's like, you know, his sister shouldn't need to protect him. <laughs> right. Like he's a, he's a man She's, grown. Right. And... Mira says, some people will always need help. That doesn't mean they're not worth helping. That's just really nice. That's just a really nice idea. And it's kind of like gets back to the cripples, bastards, and broken things idea that we've explored a lot already in the prior episodes. The idea of the little guy, you know, people like Arya, people like Bran, Tyrion, how much they're going to matter. It's the underdog. It's always the underdog. And it's cool to hear a character on the show acknowledge it. Hey, guys, just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, back to Binge Mode. So, we are going to talk a lot more about wargs. Yes. So, assemble the Conclave. Let's head to the Citadel. Teach us everything we need to know about warging which played a prominent role in this episode, but at this point in the narrative is still a mystery to viewers and character alike. A warg, or skin changer, as they are commonly called as well, is a person who can project his or her mind into an animal. A warg can control creatures' movements, sense with their senses, it's kind of a spirit sharing arrangement. It's not, it's not uh, just kind of like you go in and you're in the driver's seat. When using a, a hawk to scout, as Aurel does, a warg is able to sense the animal's consciousness in that animal's body with it, feel its fear and confusion about, about what's occurring. Um, over time, the more uh, a warg slips into an animal, the more that the, the easier that process becomes. It, the relationship deepens. It really is a relationship uh, because the line between the human and animal consciousness can start to blur. Veteran wargs have experienced death many times through the souls of their animals, and, and it's a terrible and traumatic feeling to uh, be in a wolf as it's, as it's killed uh, or be in a hawk as it's shot down. It's, uh, it's terrible. Um, and from what we've seen of the Starks, relationship with their wolves, it's fair to assume that all of them have some level of talent for skin changing. Bran, of course, being far and away the most powerful. Well, we'll get to the levels of uh, warging power in a bit. Uh, wargs are not exactly commonplace north of the wall, but their existence is well understood. Wildlings necessarily have a closer relationship with nature than um, the Westeros who live south of the wall. Giants, direwolves, skin changers, Shadow cats, children of the forest. You know they may have these things may have disappeared from southern lands, but they're 
they're not exactly commonplace beyond the wall, but they're known. They're they're understood. They still live there. They still exert an influence on daily life. Wildling wargs have, uh, we can assume, practiced their arts continuously since the Age of Heroes, you know, back since the first men first uh, stepped foot on Westeros. As such, they have like a specific code of ethical warging conduct. The do's and don'ts of warging. There's a handbook. There's a handbook. Uh, wargs must not eat human flesh. What this means is if you slip into a bear or a wolf and you kill a man, um, you must not then command that animal to eat the flesh of that person. Um, the man who eats the flesh of a man is an abomination, preached the old wiling skin shager Hagon, who, who taught Orel his, his, how to work his craft. Wargs must not mate as wolf to wolf, was another one. Uh, why this non-mating tenet is specific to wolves and not goats, bears, whatever, I don't know. <laughs> Worst abomination of all, though, is using your warging powers to control humans. This is simply not done. Although it's notable that the vast majority of wargs are, maybe all the wargs, are simply not powerful enough to seize the body of another person. It's hard. It's hard. As I said, it's a relationship. You know, the, the mind of this animal fights you back. The easiest animals to warg into are dogs um, because they are domesticated already. They have a close relationship with humans. Wolves are harder. It takes time to build the bond. It's like a, kind of like a marriage. And the wolf would never really be fully under the warg's control. Birds are not difficult per se, but because of the way the line between human and animal consciousness blurs, the danger is that an undisciplined skin changer might lose themselves just in the, in the blissful freedom of, of the feeling of flight. You just want to fly and fly and fly and you forget who you are. According to Hagon, cats are the worst. They're vicious, cruel, and willful. What do you, what say you, Mal? Cats are too fucking in control to be taken <laughs> over like dogs. That's what I say. And, and, and controlling them takes constant effort. You essentially have to do it by force. You have to constantly be subduing this, this cat consciousness. Um, prey animals like deer, elk, beaver, rabbits, should be avoided because their their nature can turn the warg into a coward. Powerful wargs can have a bond with several animals at once, not necessarily controlling them, but it's some sort of relationship. Uh, there, Varamir Sixskins, who is a uh, character from the books, you know, he had several animals around him that, that listened to his his commands. The drawback being that an injury to one of the everybody's connected, you know, so an injury to an animal um, will just cascade through the network per se, and, and cause, you know, the animals to lose control, to run away, and the, and the warg to just become incapacitated by pain. When wargs are close to death, they often just kind of instinctually send their minds out into an animal that happens to be nearby or even like the uh, animal that they use all the time. In this way, skin changers can experience kind of afterlife, existing in the mind of a hawk, say, as, as it flies around, you know, their, their mind slowly eroding and becoming part of that hawk. Wargs can feel sometimes the fragments of, of previous wargs who have died and sent their consciousness out. And if they slip into a, a particularly old hawk, they might feel two or three deceased wargs in there, no longer knowing who they are. Brandon Stark's powers go beyond warging into green seeing. Um, we'll find out more about this later. I'll talk more about this in, in subsequent seasons, but just shortly, green seers can not just, they can project their consciousness not just into animals, but through the weirwoods and through time and space. That's for later, though. Love this shit. Let's go. It's so great. As animal lovers, I think we both, 
We respond it, to this. It'd be great to be a warg. It's also like it is. Can you imagine? Like it's traumatic. That's the thing when you do it. That's what's so fascinating about about the way that it's written is you. It's some of George's best writing. It really is. When he takes when when you're Bran, but you're inside Summer's yeah. mind, you feel the confusion, you feel the the thrill, the euphoria, yeah. a whole slew of emotions, just like all those mind fragments. It's yep. all mixed up. It's awesome. I just wish I knew what Halo was thinking. You know, it's <laughs> really what this is all about. All right. Sometimes you got to pass the time by putting one foot in front of the other. And sometimes those footsteps take you to the sept, guys. That's right. It is time. It is time to head to the sept, to bathe in the light of the seven, share seven <laughs> of our favorite insights and observations from this episode. And there are a lot of good ones. So let's do it. Jason, you go first. You know who should bathe? Every fucking Northman. Northman. <laughs> Talisa says to her, my mother always told me you Westerosi were a grim lot, grim, bearded, stinking barbarians. Uh, in the very next episode, Tywin refers to the Northerners as unwashed. Rob got a I feel like bowl and splash that Rob's up. hair could not look that good if he didn't if he didn't keep it fresh. I don't know. This this feels like slander. Uh, number two. Just, you know, just want to take a moment and talk to all you reekheads out there. Like the three reekheads reek-heads who are surely there. serial killers and should be reported <laughs> to the police. We know you're listening. We know you're listening. How, how do you feel? How do you feel about seeing this Theon torture play out in real time? Because, you know, it's different, guys. It yes. is different. It's a long time in the books before we know that he is in this situation and then right. he even is around anymore. And in the show, we get to watch every foot screw and second of it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just worth pausing and acknowledging that and uh, reporting you all to the authorities. Reekheads. Right. Number three. Um, I love uh, when Joffrey's getting fitted for his, his blazers and such. And he, says to, he says to the tailor, no flowers. I said no flowers. Cersei says... Give it to Marjorie for her wedding gown. Should be more than enough fabric, that harnet. I think we have a obligation to tell everyone who's listening that our producer Zach Mack, who, you know, you I'd say ninety nine times out of a hundred, yes. we trust his judgment, right? right? But he thinks Joffrey looks, and may I quote, <laughs> may I quote him, super fly. Producers should do as they're told. That's what a smart <laughs> producer does. All right, number four. Sluggish Sam. Well, slug, he's, he's causing problems. He's just his cardio is not there yet. Maybe not, I think with with the benefit of an off season, missed a few turns <laughs> on the elliptical, <laughs> and fallen behind on his soilent regimen. And Mormont comes over, right, and he says, "Tarly, I forbid you I to forbid die. You to Do die. you hear me?" Yes. Rast, you're responsible for him. Make sure he gets back alive. If Bad he choice. You don't. Terrible. Two <laughs> things about this are yes, terrible. That. Number one, dude, the old bear is is great most of the time, but right, right now, fuck you. Not you does ca- not have his finger on the pulse. You care about Sam all of a sudden? <laughs> Why did you have to fucking shame him about the Ravens? All right. Just a few scenes ago. What the Sadistic fuck? Sadistic bully, you're in charge of Sam yeah, now. <laughs> you either care about him or you don't. And also, right, like, know your men. Read the scouting reports. <laughs> yeah. Rast, that's the caretaker you identify. He's also just poisoning Rast and the other delinquents yeah. against him. He's setting up his own demise. Painful to watch. Number five. Oh, my God. Cat talks about John and expresses regret over the way she treated him. He lived 
she says after after admitting to Talisa that she had prayed for his death. Yeah. Basically, it's says really uh, he lived. Harsh. Yeah, he <laughs> lived, and I couldn't keep my promise. And everything that's happened since all this horror that's come to my family—it's all because I couldn't love a motherless child. Oh, cat, too late. I do enjoy when she refers to herself as the worst woman in the world. <laughs> Correct. Number six. Just want to give some shouts to Gendry for operating as the audience avatar yes. here and calling Arya out for being such a buffoon. I'm just trying to understand. So good. He says, would you please shut up about it? She replies, Jack and Agar offered you three kills. Right. I'm not listening. Yeah. But just explain it to me. He offered to kill any three people you wanted. Dead. All you had to do was give him the names. Anyone. Right. You could have picked Joffrey. Shut up. You could have picked Tywin Lannister. You could have ended the war. Correct. Thank you. She needs to hear this. That's like, it's like those three picks, if you were in a fantasy draft, your commissioner would be like, no, what what the fuck are you doing? The tickler. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know his name, but. (laughs) Uh, Back at the inn. The Brotherhood. Hot pie. About to make hot pies. Love this Uh, guy. Angui looks at him and says, half the country's starving and look at this one. Maybe he's the reason half the country's starving. That's kind of, you know, it's mean. Really mean. A lot of mean, Hot mean pie. jokes about people's weight and hygiene in this Hot episode. Hot pie. Everyone's an asshole. Hot pie will one day become a elite baker. All right. Loris is young and very good at knocking men off horses with a stick, but <laughs> that doesn't make him wise. The woman who said that, though, she is very wise indeed. And yes. each episode, we are honoring the person or persons who played the game, advanced his or her cause in the most tangible way. And this week, the winners of our champion's purse. Marjorie and the Queen of Thorns. What a showing. What a showing from these two. Olena just arrives and is instantly dunking on everyone. She's a scholar. She's a master of the form. She's very crude. That's part of what's appealing is she's just willing to talk about farts and make fun of everybody. But she's also really savvy, really smart, really aware, both of her herself and her family and the people they are either aligning with or fighting against, right? We have said many times before on this podcast that Marjorie knows how to play the game. Now we know why. Now we know who taught her. Speaking of Marjorie... That moment when she walks into the king's chambers and Joff is sitting there caressing his crossbow, one of the finest weapons in the Seven Kingdoms, yeah. uh, is just a masterclass on how to navigate a minefield in a way that doesn't show weakness, right? feigns an interest and feigns a kind of subservience, but a kind of subservience that doesn't uh, come off as uh, weak and attack me and you right. can you can... You can take advantage of me. The way she's simultaneously telling Joffrey what he wants to hear, stroking his ego, um, saying it in just the right way, the perfect way to make this story fly. He's Uh, more interested in having his ego stroked than having any actual part of his body stroked. That's all that matters to him is feeling appreciated, feeling superior. The most interesting part of that exchange to me is actually – the strength that she has yeah. when when she has to sit there and listen to him say, I've considered making his perversion punishable by death. The fact that, that Renly was gay. Right. 
Marjorie knows that Loris, her own brother, is also gay, right? He was Renly's lover. To have to sit there and stomach that because she knows she's playing the long game here, that shows her awareness right. and her understanding of what goes into not only surviving these relationships, but finding a way to dominate them and take control of it, right? And then she pivots right. flawlessly right back into the innuendo about sex and death yeah. and betrayal, the stuff that he really cares about, right? Could you do it? Could you kill something? <laughs> I don't know, Your Grace. Do you think I could? Yes. <laughs> Joffrey. Would you like to watch me? It's one of the finest weapons in the Seven Kingdoms. All right, guys, we have come a long way to binge with you, all you Brandons out there, and we, uh, we have much further to go. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today and that you will join us again next time when we will be discussing Season 3, Episode 3, Walk of Punishment. Walk it's of a punishment. goodie. It's a goodie. Until then, remember, all Lannisters are lions, and every time a Tyrell farts, it smells like a rose. Like a, do you have a pocket square that goes with this? Something that shows strength. What do you think of this, mother? Shut up! This is good. No flowers, please. <laughs>